see you all. Anybody do any traveling this weekend or traveling to see family or anything like that? Some of you? Okay. I got a chance to do that. I, I went back to Illinois to see my mother and my sisters and some other family members. And uh, my mom has a honeydew list that uh, probably way outshines my wife. So uh, she put me to work. And it was good to spend some time with family to enjoy uh, the experience of just relaxing and pressing the pause button on everything and catching up and uh, also listening to my mom's sermons. I don't know if you guys have a mom like that, but my mom has really been good about preaching. Like she's got different topics that she likes to preach to me about and she's always been that way. I think I'm probably up here because somehow somewhere along the way I had decided that, um, well, I must it must, it must be destiny that I'm a preacher because I, I get preached to a lot and I've got a lot of sermons stored up. So a lot of the overflow that comes out of uh, my preaching is probably stuff that she's already embedded in my brain. Um, and one of the things along the way that, uh, uh, that, that she did was she had told me this time, because I'm thinking, what is the sermon going to be for my mom now? And the topic was your vision. How well are you seeing, Leonard? Are you taking supplements that will enable your eyes to stay healthy? And the truth of the matter was, I wasn't taking any. And I wasn't even thinking about taking any. Does anybody here take supplements so that your eyes can see? Oh, you guys do. Do they work? You think? Probably. I mean, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Sean? Coffee. Now, that's my kind of supplement right there. As, uh, you know, she's telling me a couple of names, and I'm, I'm writing them down, and I'm saying, yeah, yeah, I'll look into that, and I'm thinking, probably right around maybe 15 years from now. Well, I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about everything else but that sermon, and all of a sudden, the reality of what she preached to me began to unfold, and that is, I, I had been on Route 30, and I was passing the car to try to get here, because we, we were running late, and... Um, I won't say that I was exceeding the speed limit because I know that anything that's on YouTube will, can and will be used against me in a court of law. So I'll just say that uh, this car was annoying and I wanted to get around it. And it was on a four-lane highway, so I just pulled out, went on by it about five miles fast, an hour faster than it was going. And I kind of cruised along in that lane for a while, and, and I'm thinking to myself kind of subconsciously, I've passed him, now I can, I can veer back in. So I go to veer back in and I just catch out of the corner of my eye that car, that guy. Somewhere in his mind he thought, well, if he's going faster, I'm going to go faster. And I didn't see him. He was in the blind spot of my wife's car. And he was just hanging out right there. And I could only see him whenever I, I moved over. And as I did, I just about hit him. And then I'm like, Overcorrecting, and then the car rolls over several times and explodes. No, it didn't do any of that. But it, it did kind of shake me up a little bit. And I thought, man, maybe I do need those supplements that she was telling me about. I'm not going to tell her what just happened because then I'll I'll get part two of the sermon. She'll make a series out of it. And. So I, I'm coming home and I'm thinking about my ability to see things and not see things. And I realize that it's even beyond seeing. Uh, the fact of the matter is, we have something called attentional bandwidth. That is, we tune our eyes to see things. And usually it's things that are important to us. 
and the things that aren't important to us, we, we really aren't even aware. Case in point, as you know, we are doing a series on the book of 2 Corinthians, which is the Apostle Paul's expression of, I think, his heart and his soul, as well as his concern for a church, at a level that he's never written before. And as he's sharing these things, uh, I find it very deeply meaningful, and hopefully I can bring that to bear upon this situation. And we've decided to use as a vehicle through all the chapters uh, a car. And I thought, well, if we're going to use a car, why not use a Hemi Challenger? And as you guys are thinking, how many times has he squeezed Hemi Challenger into a sermon? Probably more than anybody. But I'm going to keep on pushing into it. And as I think about it, as Jesus, as the one behind the wheel, taking us on a tour of the city of Corinth and reliving the stops that the Apostle Paul went to, the first stop being the stop where we've experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly of being a Christian and being part of a church. And the second stop being where now we're looking at a place that redefines us. And as we're just pondering the fact that we're doing this through a vehicle, a particular vehicle that we have in mind here, I've been thinking about this car quite a bit. And I'm driving by Kuflightners after, so I'm circling back to my story about being on the road. I'm driving by Kuflightners outside of town who has a whole bunch of beautiful old cars. And I see one. I see this beautiful Dodge Challenger. And I'm just kind of just gazing at it as I'm driving by. I hear a voice saying, keep your eyes on the road. And then, then the next thing she said was, did you see that yellow Challenger? And I had to be honest with her, I didn't see it. Because I was looking at the gray one. All I saw was the gray one. And that was it. I mean, there could have been a million dollar Ferrari, Maserati, doesn't matter. And I would have seen it. It just was not in my line of vision. And if you think about, well, no wonder how distracting it is when pastors can't get their equipment sorted out, and how difficult it is. What was I talking about again? You guys remember? Challenge. Challengers. That's right. And attention, right? What are you guys looking at right now? Somebody making a fool out of themselves with their headset? Maybe, maybe not. Well, the fact of the matter is, when you think about what you see and what you don't see, it, it is true, and neuroscientists have said, that when we're looking at how people attend to things, we know that there's a whole lot of stuff out there to see. I mean, even right now as I'm looking at you. But we only bring in less than less than 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 five percent at the very best of that information into our brain. And the reason why we can't take it all in at once is we just don't have that ability to process that much information at one time. So God has made us so that our attention is actually very selective. And the only thing that is going to determine whether or not we see something is whether or not we value it, whether or not it's important to us. And if you talk to somebody who has the same interest, they'll see the same thing. But if you see somebody who has a different interest, 
they see something altogether unrelated to anything that you're comprehending. And that's something that people in that realm call a filter. It allows stuff in, but it also allows stuff or forces stuff to stay out. Here's an example. Since we're going to expand on the Challenger theme, if it had a cabin filter in it, it would look like this. On the left side is a brand new cabin filter, which takes all of the air that's coming in, filtrates it, and then allows it to go into the cabin so that you can breathe fresh air. Breathe in stuff that you're not seeing accumulate otherwise. On the right side is a cabin filter that's been doing its job for about 20 or 30,000 miles. And essentially, what it's saying to us is there's a lot of stuff that was coming into the car that without the cabin filter, I wouldn't have wouldn't even been aware that I was breathing that stuff into my being. But essentially what the cabin filter does is it says, this stuff has to stay out, and this stuff has to come in. And if you look at our attention and our ability to see things, we essentially have one of those. And the challenge for any believer and anybody who's thinking about taking steps towards God is recalibrating what your filter does, what it takes in and what it doesn't take in, because... There's a lot of things competing for our attention. If you consider this sermon compared to a high production YouTube video or a Hollywood movie, it is essentially um, a pretty poor production by comparison. And yet it is the very thing that God says we'll continue preaching sermons probably until the Lord comes in a variety of venues, some polished, some not so polished, because it is actually the power of the words that are being spoken on behalf of the Word of God that is doing the work anyway. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us to see in our own filter. There's a lot of cool stuff to see out there. But I want you to tune your eyes to the things that are unseen. And he gives us a little bit of a frame of reference to do that. By looking at our scripture here, he's essentially setting us up to see things with a new filter that we've never seen before. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 6. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And as the Apostle Paul writes that, um, he's saying, it essentially, it's easy to get comfortable in our body and think that that's all that there is. Our five senses are all that there are. In the world that we live in, perhaps all the things that we buy, we consume, we desire, everything that is catching our attention and is being allowed in is probably something that is measured by sight. And yet, weirdly enough, I'm trying to convince you to see something that you can't see. Or at least our filter isn't enabling us to see. And that's where we're trying to recalibrate that filter today. And God may be saying, I want to show you for the first time some things that have been going on in your world that you haven't even recognized. And maybe you're like some who have been cataloging 
the things that you see God doing and the things that you see other believers are doing, and, and we're, we're turning that in and we're going to report that. It's a way of just acknowledging things that maybe we're not seeing very clearly. Well, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing these things, and he's looking at people that are trying to track with him, he's attuning us to the things unseen. Let's continue. He said, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Let me stop right there. And, um, and before I, I'm going to end with that last verse. As, as Paul is saying these things, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we also know that there is one who sits on a judgment seat. Now, how many of you have ever seen Jesus sitting on a judgment seat? Anybody ever seen that? Anybody aware that that's a thing? You ever talk to people who feel like, yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be a final judgment. I'm not sure that after I die I've got to worry about anything like that. Or have you ever talked to someone who said, yeah, I know there's going to be one, and I'm honestly very afraid when that time comes. What I'd like to do is tell you that when we begin to tune our filter to walk by faith and not by sight, it also means having an awareness that there is a seat of judgment that Jesus sits on, and he looks at each of our lives. And I've heard some people describe it as a television screen that just unfolds from the beginning of our life to the very end, everything that we've done. And I don't know about you, but I find that very frightening because I've done some things I'm not proud of. I've asked God for forgiveness for things I'm not proud of. And I wonder who all is going to be there and who all is going to see it. But that's not really the point. The point is this, that in the middle of it all, the life that you and I live, the life that you and I live together, sits Christ, aware of everything, and in a sense, judging everything. Now, as we take this hemi-challenger into the city of Corinth, and we arrive at the middle of the marketplace, we see at that venue shops and different places that sell curios. There are other places that sell things that are self-help oriented. There are things that are to um, deities that will give you power if you need it for different, you know, for your... Uh, for your financial or your romantic or whatever well-being. There are places where philosophers debate, and it's all like going to the mall. And in the middle of the mall is a seat that a wise man or two sits on. And it looks something like this. It said, it, essentially, it, um, this is the ruins of the city of Corinth. And in those ruins, that mall is still partially there. And this place right here that you're looking at is something called the Bema, which is the judgment seat. And when Paul is talking about the judgment seat, he's talking about that place in the middle of the mall where people go to have their cases uh, arbitrated. If somebody has a complaint against somebody, they go to the judgment seat. And the judge says, let me hear your case. And who's the plaintiff and who's the defendant? And they get into... 
uh, conversation that results in a ruling and the judgment makes a wise decision about what's going to be the best plan to move forward. And the whole idea is to keep it healthy. And that's why it was established in the middle of the city where everybody could see it. And everybody knew that if we were going to conduct ourselves as a, a, a city, as a body of people, there had to be law and order, and there had to be a means by which you could arbitrate disputes. And you didn't have to go any farther than the bima, the judgment seat. And it's kind of ominous and frightening to consider it, isn't it? As you think about, well, i got to go before the judge. And yet when Paul is saying, Jesus is sitting on that seat, he's actually kind of bundling into that experience a lot. He's essentially saying, now I know you're used to walking by sight, not faith. I understand that. But I also want you to understand that just as you see this judgment seat in the middle of the city, in the unseen realm, in like manner, only even more significantly, Jesus is sitting on that judgment seat right now. Okay, you with me? And the Apostle Paul was so familiar with the seat that he actually was brought before the magistrate who, uh, who was the, uh, the, the judge who was, who was uh, listening to the complaint against him that he was stirring things up with people by telling them the good news. And this is kind of what the depiction is in church history. There's a picture uh, of him at the judgment seat. Let's, let's go ahead and show that. And that's the Apostle Paul. Not, not that one there. The other. And Acts 18, it talks about them pressing charges against him because he's preaching the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that we are cleansed with his blood so that we can have a good conscience and a right standing before God, and also that there is a, a death that happened on that day that resulted in a resurrection three days later, and Jesus is the first one from the grave. And from that beginning, everyone has a hope that the same will happen to each of them, only the judgment against them will be absorbed into that cross. Paul is telling people this, and they're starting to see life through the lens of the unseen. They're starting to recognize that apart from the five senses and how I view things, there's a deeper reality. My assumption is many of you are here today because you've been in that world of the five senses. You've bought stuff. You own stuff. You participated in stuff. You have lots of stuff. You're in the process of getting rid of stuff. And you're finding that the accumulation of all of these things, the impulse to get that next best, latest and greatest thing, you're finding that you've done it just long enough that it's, it's, actually, it's actually not answering a deeper need. Because you're along the path far enough, you realize, I got some stuff going on inside of me that all that stuff that I see isn't much help for. I think I need something that I can't see. Something that I'm not even fully aware of. 
because it's kind of still in my blind spot. And some people come into this room because they are looking for that thing that can help them out that is not seen, but yet is very real. And essentially, if you think about the guy I almost ran off the road on Route 30, I couldn't see him, but he was very real. And thankfully, he wasn't suffering from road rage at the time, or I may not be here. And there's a sense where God is saying, the stuff that your filter has been keeping out is stuff that's actually been there the whole time. You just have gotten into the place where your filter says, not letting that God stuff in. And God may be pulling you into that place that you're not used to seeing things. That place of what is now unseen so that you can begin to see stuff that you've never seen before. Now this part of the stop is really about you and about how God sees you. Because God sees you differently than probably most people around you. When the good news becomes a part of our lives and we accept it, the unseen reality is we are now part of God's family. It's been established in a deeper code of law, deeper than the law books here in the United States or anywhere else in the world. It's been established that we are bought with a price. It's established that we are adopted into a family. And when God looks at us, he says, please call me Father. It has been established that as we're adopted into this family, God is saying, this life is not all there is. Don't live for this life alone. It has been established that whenever God looks at us, He sees us as worthy because He sees us through the lens, His own filter of a bloodstained cross. And yet I would bet to a person, every one of us in the room, has had other people tell us Based on what I see, you're not so special. Based on what I see, I don't see a resemblance between you and God and his family. Based on what I see, you're not worth that much. Based on what I see, well, I'm not sure that God's even in your world. And we take that stuff and we say, but my filter's telling me that's no longer allowed in. And my new filter is saying, I'm going to allow into my soul, into that place inside of me that you can't see, but it's very real, only those things that God said need to be there. And as God is working in this room, I'm looking at your faces, and some of you have a poker face, and I have no idea what you're, what, what's going on inside of you. Some of, us, some of you, I know well enough to kind of get a sense. But at the end of the day, it's stuff that only God can see. But God sees it so clearly that as he moves us into this room, he says, we're going to go to work. Because you are not in the place, you're not in the place that you need to be. The ride isn't over yet. As we think about the good, the bad, the ugly of our own lives, now God is saying, let's stop and let's see who you are, who you become as my child.
how worthwhile you are. And how it is that you are secure now under my care. And you may be thinking right about now, well, that's all fine and well, but what about that judge stuff? Anybody ever have to stand before the magistrate? You don't have to raise your hand. But if you have, it's kind of a fearful thing, isn't it? Because he or she represents the law, and you're asking yourself, am I doing the right thing? Have I been doing the right thing? Am I going to get in trouble for doing the wrong thing? Or you may be thinking, that person's been doing the wrong thing, and judge, you need to just throw the book at that person. Churches can be like that too, can't they? And I think as we go along, Jesus is sitting on the judgment seat, and he's just looking at our lives. And he's saying, where you're at right now, you need, to, you need to kind of move over here. You're already saved. You've already been justified. And that doesn't mean you get your fire insurance paid and you can do whatever you want. You can just ask for forgiveness when you sin. It isn't, it is, God isn't, he, he, he doesn't tolerate evil. He hates it. But he also establishes us so that we can move away from it. And your life and mine, as we go through life as part of that family, essentially Paul is saying in this life, there's a role for the judge. And that is to help us to attune ourselves to his will, his purpose, his righteousness. We'll never be perfect like him, but we have to keep moving in that direction. And as we attune to what, how the judge is nudging us, this way or that way, we start to see things more and more. We start to recognize the stuff that wasn't important to you and I at all at one point, but important to God. As we're moving in the directions that he's nudging us, as the, as the one who keeps the perfect law, he's moving us into those places where we see what we need to see. I hope you kind of catch that. So let me just summarize this real quickly again. In the unseen realm is a judge, like one who sits on the judgment seat in Corinth. And he's looking at your life and mine in the here and now, and he's seeing where we measure up and where we don't. And like any good parent or any good friend, he's using the Holy Spirit to convict us where we're off the path, but he's also using the Holy Spirit to bring us into, out of our timidity and into the good things that expand on what he's doing already. And that's his role as judge in the here and now. But there's also a role in the time that is yet to come. And that's, that's, that's a little bit different because the stakes are, are much higher. And they have a lot to do with whether or not we are part of the family or we are not part of the family. And I don't know about you, but I'd love to be included in family stuff. Usually there's food involved and lots of banter and it's fun. I don't like to be excluded and I don't think anybody else does either. But there's one who sits on the judgment seat who will say at that point, I don't see the blood of Christ covering you. 
And that's a scary notion because, in effect, it essentially says that in that unseen part of your life, there are no adoption papers. And one of the reasons why the gospel is so important is that we are in the process of adopting as many people as we can into a family that is going to go on forever. How does that family function? Well, in the unseen realm, we don't think about it much, but I'm guessing that if you measure a church, it's usually based on how many people, how much money, and what kind of buildings. The three Bs, I'll just say it pejoratively, buildings, butts, and budgets. If you're doing all of that, then you're a success. If you're not, you're not. But when you read the Bible, you find that Paul's whole filter isn't attuned to that as much as it is to what is going on with the family. How well is this family representing who they're supposed to be? And are they following the nudges of the one who's evaluating their life along the way so that they can become the family? Not in a legalistic sense, like we're getting the law all right, but in the sense that we are moving away from the deeds of the flesh, you know, um, lying and murder and adultery and anger and bitterness and rage and, and lust and witchcraft and into a way of life that is characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, etc. Against such things there, there is no law. And it's no different than you and your children. You're trying to move them into a place where you hope that whenever it's all done, we all get along at least. And have you ever been to a family gathering where people don't get along? And when they don't get along, what's the trigger? Politics. Once you get somebody going on that, it's a runaway train. Because for whatever reason, in their mind, that unseen thing that defines them probably is political. But in God's mind, the unseen thing that defines us is way more than just political. It is the kingdom. And it is the king who has adopted us into his family. And we, we start there and we work backwards into that. And it changes everything. I mean, it's nice to be around families that I know have embraced all of that and I've seen it at work for generations, there's a peace about it. And then there are other families, you know, like my own, a work in progress. And there are places of peace and there are places of discord because it's not quite all aligned yet in the things of God. When Paul is looking at his church family, he's saying the measure here is how much they've surrendered to the will of the Father. How much they are attuned to the things that are unseen how much it is that they are allowing Christ to live through them. And all that unseen stuff that you can only hear about in a place like that, like this, changes everything. So we have bodies that our souls inhabit that, and according to this chapter, are fading away. We have souls that are being transformed in preparation for a great family reunion. We have things that are unseen now being recognized. 
And we have Christ who's tracking with us along the way. All the stuff people outside of an experience like this, they just can't see. It's the car and the blind spot. They're just not aware. Some of you are here because other people prayed. Help them to see. Help their heart to open up. Help them in the crisis that they're going through that nothing else can provide an answer for. Help them to see that you can and be open to it. Help them to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. I have a, a niece that's studying to be a physician's assistant. I visited with her this weekend as well. And I'm almost sorry I triggered her because she was going into a conversation about all things biological. Now, maybe you're into that. Maybe you like to see what's just underneath the skin. You know, all the parts and all the veins and all that stuff. But if you're like me, it's like there's a reason why God said put some skin over it so you don't have to look at it. There's a reason why it's inside and we're not keeping it on display. Truth be told, if somebody goes to take my blood, I just tell them nowadays, I'm just going to lay down on the floor because I'll pass out. And when I do, I'll already be down there and it won't be a problem. Hopefully you'll get what you need and in time I'll wake up and it'll all be good. I'm pretty averse to what's going on inside of here. I really don't want to know. But maybe that's part of the problem. Is maybe... Some of us have spent way too much time thinking about what's going on out there. And our attentional bandwidth has been distracted enough that we don't have to think about what's going on in here. But there may be a red light on the dashboard of your life that's blinking. Danger. The problem or it's blinking, you need to do something, and I'm not sure what. And you're trying this, and you're trying that, and you're being distracted by this or that, but in the end, over time, it's like it's just getting worse. And I don't know what to do. And maybe God's saying, maybe you need to stop. And you need to take a step back from everything that's going on in your life. And look at your soul. And ask the question, is my soul where it needs to be? And I would say if your soul is disconnected from God, it's not where it needs to be. Because our lives are sourced in Him and Him alone. But you and I are living in a world that says technology can answer every need in every way. But it can't. It can't fix the soul. Only Jesus can. Only a bloodstained cross. We are designed for those kind of features, for lack of a better word. We're designed for forgiveness. We make mistakes. We need healing, body, mind, and soul. All stuff that there are no answers 
for except through Jesus. And the biggest thing I have to do every Sunday, essentially two biggest things, is help you in all the distractibility of what's happening in the next six and a half days of taking your mind off of the things of God and allowing into your life things that are killing your soul and helping it to recalibrate to the things of God. And the second thing that I have to do here, and I hope I can, is to just simply lay open an invitation into this family that is words can't even describe its nature as an adventure, as a process, as a way of life, as a destiny, as a new way of looking at everything, as a way of finding peace, a way of learning to relate to each other. There are so many features that just by association, being a part of this family, come into play that redefine you. I mean, the one thing that I discovered when I go back to Illinois as well is even though I'm 55, in the eyes of my two older sisters and my mom, I'm still that kid. And I can't seem to escape it. So I just kind of leverage it to my benefit. Yeah, I'm a kid. You're right. Can you feed me? But it doesn't always work that way anymore. But it's an identity that was from another time and another place. And God has given me and many of you a new identity. And we become different people in Him over time. And I wonder, do you feel or sense in your spirit God moving you into His family? Is He nudging you? Is He allowing a discontent to take hold that says there is nothing out there? And those are just signposts to the things that are unseen. And this is a place where the two can come together. And maybe God's saying, it's time. It's time to become part of my family.